the Cosmic Companion, exploring the wonders of the universe, one mystery at a time. This week, the Milky Way Galaxy. Welcome back to the Cosmic Companion. This week, we're going to journey together exploring the Milky Way Galaxy. We're going to be talking with Stefan Gillison from the Max Planck Institute for Extraterrestrial Physics about his work understanding Sagittarius A-star, the supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy. The Milky Way has inspired legends and myths since the earliest days of our species. The Khoisan people of the Kalahari Desert believed the world was originally devoid of stars. Their legends tell of a young girl throwing embers from a fire into the sky, forming the band of stars we see today. Ancient Finnish people believed birds followed this path of light as they migrated to Lintukoto, bird home. Stories of the Cherokee people speak of a dog who stole a stash of cornmeal. Being chased away, one can only assume by the rightful owners of said cornmeal. This pilfering puppy spilled its ill-gotten gains across the sky, forming the Milky Way. Now, that is a lot of cornmeal. Uh, for most of human history, no one understood the immense scale of the universe. Even the few galaxies which can be seen with the naked eye, Andromeda, for instance, were thought to be much closer to Earth than they actually turned out to be. Now, as the 1920s opened, astronomers believed the Milky Way was alone in the universe. In, the, in 1923, the same year that brought us, yes, we have no bananas today, Astronomer Edwin Hubble set the sights of the 100-inch Hooker telescope on the Andromeda Galaxy, on the Andromeda Nebula. He found this body contained stars just like those seen close to us. He also found this family of stars sits far away outside the Milky Way. By the end of the decade, astronomers realized that this fuzzy patch in the sky, now called the Andromeda Galaxy, was just one of millions of island universes. Today, we know of hundreds of billions of such, of such galaxies. Astronomers now find our galaxy is home to more than 300 billion stars. Current understanding suggests there are even more planets than there are stars, suggesting the very real possibility of more than a trillion worlds scattered throughout our galaxy. Some of these are accompanied by moons, and some of those could be larger than the Earth. Stretching more than 100,000 light years across, our home galaxy is considered a barred spiral galaxy similar to UGC 
1-2-1-5-8. At the center of nearly all these galaxies lies a supermassive black hole. The Milky Way is no exception. At the center of our home galaxy, Sagittarius A-star, or Sag A-star to its friends, and are we all friends here, is 4.3 million times as massive as the sun. Looking deep into the universe, we see backwards in time. And the oldest light in the universe holds secrets to how everything around us will, one day, end. Meanwhile, stars, planets, and galaxies dance in an intricate ballet, occasionally giving birth to life. We are fledgling species, just beginning to visit other worlds. We are a way for the universe to understand itself. The Cosmic Companion strives to bring the universe down to Earth, and we depend on your help to make it happen. For information on subscriptions and ways to donate to this program, please visit thecosmiccompanion.net. Thank you. We talk with Stefan Gillison from the Max Planck Institute for Extraterrestrial Physics about his work studying this supermassive black hole at the center of the Milky Way galaxy. This week on The Cosmic Companion, we're happy to be joined by Dr. Stefan Gillison. He is from the Max Planck Institute for Extraterrestrial Studies, and he's found some fascinating new data about the supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy. Welcome to the show, Stefan. Welcome. I'm very happy to be here, and I'm happy to take any questions on the Galactic Center. Great. Um, so, first of all, just give us a brief intro. What do we know about Sagittarius A star, the black, the supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy? Well, the, the, the most important thing to know maybe is that it's the best black hole we know in the sense that one is most sure about that this object needs to be a black hole. There's very little alternatives left. And all those alternatives are extremely unlikely in the sense that they would always require very strong additional assumptions about physics, which we don't know. So in a way, um, the galactic center is easiest explained by a black hole. And that's a, a very strong statement. And um, it's, from a scientific point of view, much more convincing than, for example, uh, this M87 uh, black hole, which was uh, got got famous uh, two years ago when the first image of uh, such a black hole came out. Because it's, um, I mean, yeah, you, you see a depression in a, in a ring of light, but it's, um, from a physics point of view, such a star in the galactic center is much more convincing because we can actually measure its mass and, and radius to extreme precision. And, and when you do that, you find out there's four million solar masses within a region which is hardly the size of the orbit of Venus or something like that. And uh, the most conservative uh, explanation simply is there's a black hole. Uh, this, I mean, when... When a black hole seems like the simplest answer. <laughs> yeah. You know, things are so, <laughs> um, you, you can also put it that way. So um, in 2020, the Nobel Prize for Physics was uh, given for the discovery of the black hole. And uh, 
but we have taken the field much uh, further. Now we are actually using the black hole to test general relativity. So, I mean, once you have a black hole, you want to play with it. And uh, that's, that's the regime we are in now. So the question whether there is a black hole is answered, I would say. But the question whether gravity, the theory of, uh, of gravity, Einstein's theory, behaves as one thinks in this extreme regime, this is a question which uh, we hope to address now. And you recently found that almost everything near the center of our galaxy is in this supermassive black hole. Yes. Correct. So uh, by tracking the stars uh, around the black hole, we, we can actually make some statements about um, where that mass needs to be located. It's undoubtedly 4.3 million solar masses. But once you know the precise shapes of these orbits and you can look at, uh, for deviations from the, the theoretical figure, which is an ellipse, and once you, you know how precisely you're tracking an ellipse, you can make a statement how precisely that mass needs to be concentrated uh, in, into a single black hole, so to say. And there, there could be plenty of reasons why there would be uh, other mass around. Think, for example, um, about other stars which are flying around the black hole. Right. And those stars, they might have lifetimes rather short. So they might explode, they go into a supernova, and they might leave behind neutron stars, other black holes. And where does all this material go? So there should be actually quite a sea of dark objects around the black hole. That's what people think. And um, you can then try to see if actually there is that sea of unseen objects uh, around the black hole. And it turns out that our limits uh, are actually starting to constrain how many there can, there can be. And uh, that's quite fascinating that um, uh, we actually uh, can make statements how which percentage of the mass needs to be inside of the black hole and which percentage is still allowed to be uh, not uh, in, in the black hole. And it turns out it's a small number. Maybe of the 4 million solar masses, maybe a 5,000 could still not be inside the central black hole. So it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. But to do that, actually, you, um, we do see that the orbits are not ellipses because of Einstein's theory. So you know maybe that the uh, Mercury orbit is precessing right. due to the um, the fact that uh, also the sun's gravitational field is uh, governed by general relativity. It's a small effect. For such a star, the effect is stronger, and we have actually been able to see this since 2019, and uh, our newer data also just confirmed that. And so we asked the question, how much additional mass can there be once we take into account that the orbit is governed by general relativity. So that's the question we can answer. And that answer actually is 5,000 or 4 million. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, and so in your study, as I understand it, you tracked the movement of four stars. Yes. Um, so we actually we have pushed technology quite a bit ahead. And uh, there's one mountain in the world where, there is, where you can find four eight-meter telescopes. And those eight-meter telescopes, they are uh, not placed in a random configuration, but they are actually placed such that they form an interferometer and that you can actually interfere the light meaningfully. And that is sort of cheating a bit in a, in a sense because you get the resolution of a telescope which has a diameter which uh, corresponds to the distance between the telescopes. And those 
120 meters apart, the longest baseline. So we get a resolution of a telescope with a diameter of 120 meters. Of course, uh, the, such interferometer is a more complicated machine. It's not as sensitive and it has uh, a certain disadvantages, but fundamentally we are able to resolve and I mean, the, the factor is sheer incredible, 15 times better than we, than what we could do with a, a single telescope. 15 times, that's a lot. Imagine your salary yeah. goes up by a factor of 15. How much I'll money would it. you have per month? I'll I mean, take not, it. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> Almost <laughs> enough. Pay my bills. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and that's it's quite amazing, that technique. And um, we have been able to, to look at the Galactic Center now with this technique for uh, three years. 18, 19, 2020, it was not possible due to the pandemic. And 21, we managed to do in a remote uh, operation sense. And uh, yeah, we can we can track stars there and we see them uh, flying by. And in particular, uh, we can see now fainter stars than we were able to do. So because uh, simply the, the resolution means that the brighter stars don't blind us as much. So we can look um, into much more, more detail there. And um, we were not sure how many stars there would be. And um, we actually discovered a new one uh, this year. There might be new discoveries next year. So I think we're actually, um, and we're still improving the instrument as we speak. So we will be getting uh, ever more sensitive. And uh, so there's actually quite still a zoom onto the, the black hole possible. And the closer we come, the stronger the effect of Einstein's theory will be so and our ultimate dream might be that maybe at some point we see a star orbiting so close that it's not even uh, the Schwarzschild metric which describes a normal black hole but that we actually see the rotation of the black hole and that would be, of course be a fantastic measurement if you could show that a black hole is rotating and that it forces the stars around it into a different orbit than what uh, um, the, the simple black hole solution would have said. That's so incredible when you think about it. And I mean, these, I mean, it seems like these stars were going, would be taking some time to go around to orbit the, the center, correct? Correct. And, yes. and so, so you can only, even studying over a few years, it seems like a minuscule amount of data to be able to. Uh, well, so let's say our our best star, which is called S2, it was the second star which was discovered that it turns out to be the brightest and it's the, the second shortest period known. That is 16 years. Oh, wow. So that's a bit longer than a PhD thesis. But if you think about <laughs> a professional career of an astronomer, that is more than 16 years. So you can actually do it and track those stars with a team. And the further we go in, the shorter the revolution time gets. It's the same as in the solar system. Earth takes a year, 365 days. If you go to Mercury, we had 88 days. And so the same is, is true for Sergei Star. If we discover stars at uh, orbits with smaller radii, that means they go around faster. And then tracking, of course, becomes more exciting because simply there's more action. Wow. And of course, uh, invisible light you can't see into the center of yes. the galaxy. So what are some of our best tools that we have now uh, so if that. you, yeah, you, you, I mean, let's say our data are extremely simple. If you would give our images to Isaac Newton himself, he would have understood what that is. 
he would have immediately calculated what is the mass and would have been amazed. But he had no chance. He didn't have a big telescope and he in particular didn't have uh, a possibility to work with infrared radiation. And so you actually need something which uh, can look through the dust screen, which is between us and the galactic center, and that is infrared light. Um, there's many ways of radiation you can use. For example, if you pick up your mobile phone and look at it, and you're probably sitting in a room, and still your mobile phone is working without that there is a direct uh, line of sight with the antenna. And simply this uh, radio emission can go through the walls of, of your building. And similarly, infrared radiation can make it through moderately thick material. Not very thick. I mean, a wall easily can block it. But if the total amount of material is more or less that of a piece of paper, it will do it. And that's roughly the amount of dust between us and the galactic center. And that means that by shifting the wavelength from, from the visible, which is maybe 500 nanometers, to something like two micrometers, so changing only a factor four, you can actually look into the galactic center. Radio waves also do it, but they have a big disadvantage. No star is actually emitting radio waves. So we wouldn't be seeing stars, we would be seeing gas and dust. And that is, of course, a much worse tracer of gravitational fields than stars, because stars are very compact objects. They are orbiting the black hole like the planets do around the sun. And that's a very clean measurement. Hmm. And you mentioned the supermassive black hole in M87. So what, what can studies of black, supermassive black holes in other galaxies teach us about Sagittarius A star and vice versa? I think it's mostly vice versa because we can look with so much detail into the galactic center. Um, it was only historically, the let's say, the, the suspicion that in the center of a galaxy sits a black hole. That came actually from the so-called quasars. And there were... Accrete there. We know now that we now know that they are supermassive black holes accreting um, at close to the maximum rate they can accrete, and that actually means that they become extremely bright emitters. And it turns out it's a very energy efficient process, so that such a black hole can outshine its whole galaxy. And um, it was ex extremely hard to to believe at the time. It was in the early 70s, but it turned out to be the, the hypothesis. And then um, people immediately said, oh, wait, but then we should also have a supermassive black hole in the center of our galaxy. And that's where the hunt started. And uh, yeah, I would say that uh, roughly 30 years later, that uh, proof was, was done, mostly because of the work of Reinhard Genzel and Andrea Gies, the Nobel Prize winners from last year, or from two years ago, one should say almost. And um, so... But nowadays we can we can revert the, the argument and say we have here a black hole. We can study in extreme detail what does it teach us about other galaxies. And it turns out that most of the black holes in other galaxies, they are sleeping. They are not eating much. And that's also the state in which such a star is. It, it's incredible little. It's only eating a hundredth of a millionth of what it could swallow. Imagine you would go to a restaurant and even it's the mo if it's the most fancy restaurant, they will still not give you that little food on, on your plates. They're, it's it's extremely little. And um, so that state of accretion, however, seems to be the typical state of accretion. Um, so supermassive black holes most of the time are actually dormant and they're not eating much. And we can study this uh, in, in exquisite detail in, in the galactic center. So I think that's that's probably the it's it's a archetype of of black holes, so to say. Yeah, fabulous. And 
finally, what is the future of studying SAG star looking like? What tools and instruments are you looking forward to and what studies? Yeah, so um, let's say for for us uh, working in, in Europe, it's clearly the very large telescope interferometer, which uh, we will be pushing. And uh, that's this interferometer, which can actually combine the light of four big telescopes and then gives you a resolution which corresponds to the distance of the telescope. So that's, that's sheer incredible that you can uh, get this uh, type of resolution. It's it's like playing with light. You have to adjust things to the nanometer level. But once you do that, you actually uh, see these interference patterns and then you know that you gained uh, that, that resolution. And it means that we get a view which is so sharp that we can get ever closer to the black hole. And now the, the trick essentially will be, do we have enough breath to do that for long enough? Can we observe long enough that we get faint enough stars that we can actually zoom in and that will be the game in, in the future. And, um, well, of course, one should also say that there's a, other tools coming online. For example, these extremely large telescopes, which uh, people are planning. Um, also, they are very interesting. They have diameters. Uh, I think the US version is a 30 meter. The German uh, participation in the ELT uh, would give us a 39 meter telescope. So we, we actually, um, it's not quite as good as the interferometer, which has 120 meter, but still it's, it's a 40 meter and it would be extremely sensitive due to the big light collecting power. And that would mean that we can actually measure extremely well spectra of stars. So we can very precisely measure the radio velocities of stars. And that's one part of the, of the motion we can track. It's not only the on sky motion, but it's also the component moving backwards or forwards uh, out of the plane of the sky or into the plane of the sky. And, um, that would be extremely exciting if one could combine astrometry from uh, the interferometer with uh, spectroscopy from such a large telescope. And that should be good enough to measure the spin. I'm, I'm pretty convinced. And maybe it, it even would allow us to go one order higher. So that means if you, if you think in terms of uh, perturbations from the Newton's theory, if you then look at the next order, the next order would actually mean that one tests something which people call the no-hair theorem. Namely, that the black hole is completely described by its mass and its spin. So that means that the higher order corrections we should be able to calculate. And if we would be able to measure them, we can check whether the calculations from the lower orders are right. And that would actually mean we can check if it's true that statement black holes do not have hair. That's awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on this, on this show, Stefan. It was great talking with you. Yeah, thanks a lot for, for asking these questions and um, please stay tuned. We, we continue to work <laughs> and um, believe me, it's exciting and it's exciting every few years. There's something new coming up in the Galactic Center. It's one of the most, uh, let's say, rich astrophysical environments. And uh, yeah, once you, you pay attention to it, you will see it all over the place. It's coming back all the time. Absolutely. Love to talk with you again sometime. And that was Dr. Stefan Gillison from the Max Planck Institute for Extraterrestrial Studies. Nearly 5 billion years from now, our family of stars will collide with the Andromeda Galaxy. 
this collision with an island of one trillion stars will massively warp and alter both our galaxy and Andromeda. The galactic pair will slowly merge into a larger monster galaxy with an irregular shape. Today, both Andromeda and the Milky Way are surrounded by galactic halos made up from gas, dust, and the occasional wayward star. Recently, astronomers found these galactic halos may have already started to come in contact with each other. In some ways, the collision of galactic heavyweights may have already begun. It's the end of our galaxy as we know it, and I feel fine. Remember, you can watch every episode of this show at thecosmiccompanion.tv. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and keep your wonder alive. Visit us anytime at thecosmiccompanion.net.com or .tv. Subscribe or follow today and you'll never miss an episode. Until next time, here's wishing you all clear skies.